I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. I grew up in a really hardcore, right-wing, Bible-believing, obviously, church. We were the right kind of Baptists, and then there were other kind of Baptists. But we didn't do the Advent season. We did Christmas Eve and Christmas, of course. But there wasn't this four weeks of anticipation building up to Christmas. It was only after I got married and and exposed to the broader Christian tradition that I understood that Advent is a good thing. The word Advent is taken from the Latin word to come. So we anticipate the coming of Jesus. And in some churches, they almost turn it into kind of a a mini Lent. You know, a scaled-down version where you anticipate because you don't really, you can't really enjoy Christmas without some kind of anticipation, right? That's why I wanted to play this song for you this morning. I don't know if you're familiar with this song by Joan Osborne. It came out a a long time ago. But this haunting refrain, what if God was one of us? I don't know why Joan Osborne wrote this song. I don't know what was prompting her, but it makes me think all the time. And especially when I'm on the bus... It makes me think about that. And I was especially thinking about it this past Wednesday night. When it was anybody caught in traffic on Wednesday night, that traffic was just miserable. I went to catch a bus at U of, uh, U of W, and that wasn't working because they were just storming by and waving, and they were full. So I walked downtown and kept walking downtown and kept walking further east until I could cram on one, which let me off about a kilometer from where I wanted to go. But I finally got home. But it made me think about that phrase, what if God was one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to get his way home? What if he really was a human being? What would it look like? The God who made us, made us for relationship. First slide, please, tomorrow. He, he created us to be in relationship. This is a very familiar passage, but I want you to think carefully about the grammar. Oh, grammar. In, this, uh, in these verses from, from Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Look at the first couple of lines. Do you notice anything a little bit peculiar about the choice of words? Us. What's with all the us stuff? That's not grammatically correct. God said, let us. Who's the us? The what? The Trinity. What the dickens is that? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We don't think about the Trinity enough. Please don't ask me to explain it. But I know that God is three persons. God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't separate the three. If I was bold enough, I I won't ask anybody to do this today, but if I was bold enough, I would ask three people to come up here and hold hands and kind of do what I call the Trinity dance, just kind of move around. And it's, it's hard to illustrate the Trinity. But let me tell you this. The Trinity is a loving relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And now you're naturally saying, so what, Rick, when is lunch? Here's the important thing about the Trinity and why it's so important for us. God is a personal and relational God. God 
pre-existed us. I mean, he's, God is forever, right? God is eternal. Alpha and Omega. Like, there's no beginning or end to God. But he's always existed in relationship, in love. And we were conceived out of love. We were born, we were created out of God's love, out of the overflow of God's love in the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're doing this complex dance in a relationship. And out of that love, we're created. And He made us to be in relationship with Him. And after, after God made the world, what did He say? It's all good. Okay, it's all good. After He finished creating people, what did He say? Very good. Very good. Très bien. It's been, c'est fantastique. That's what he said. It says, awesome. Look at this. Creatures created to be in relationship with me. There's a lot of things that make us like God, where most of us would like to think we're intelligent and we can make choices and we have a free will and we have, you know, we know the difference between right and wrong innately somehow. But one of the ways we're created like God is that we're created to, we're created in His image so we could live in relationship with Him. With. That's one of the key words for this morning. With. Did you see this banner this morning? What language is this? Hebrew. Smarty pants. Okay. What does it say? I'll give you a tip. Don't read it this way. Read it backwards. Well, it's backwards to us. It's the right way to Hebrew people. But... What does it say? Emmanuel. Good guess. It's the first day of Advent. No, it's good. Uh, obviously, you, I could tell. You could read Eve, see Emmanuel. Anyway, God with us. What if God was one of us? Just a stranger on a bus, just a slob like one of us? It's the line from Joan Osborne. What if he was one of us? See, the problem is God created us in His image so we could live in relationship with Him. But, next slide, our rebellion and sin broke that relationship. Sin breaks relationship. You cannot have a relationship with someone who betrays your trust, right? You could forgive that person, but the relationship is broken unless the trust is restored, unless you're reconciled, right? And that's why we can forgive someone who abuses us, but that doesn't mean we have to trust them again. That would actually be kind of foolish, wouldn't it? And harmful. But to rebuild that relationship takes a long time and a lot of building a lot of trust. So the problem is that our rebellion, our choices, we wanted to be, call our own shots, that broke our relationship with our Creator. Okay, next. But the good news is God has supplied, He's provided a solution to this broken relationship. And that's what Advent is all about. That's what all these, these songs we've been singing in a minor key. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You know, come on. What if God was one of us? It's that urging, that, that desire to be reconnected with God. We're really made for Him. We are made for a relationship with God. And we try to fill that hole with stuff that doesn't quite satisfy. It gives us a temporary thrill and a temporary buzz. But the morning after, it's not just a physical hangover. There's a spiritual hangover. And ah, 
and we have to get more and more of a rush to try to fill that emptiness and the emptiness grows and grows. But that emptiness can be filled by a relationship with God. God with us, Emmanuel. And here's what God did. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was God, and the Word was God, and Jesus became one of us and dwelt among us. It's awesome. That's the theme of Christmas time. Next one, please, Tamara. Um, sorry, just go back one. And so, the, uh, so that was God's solution for us, that God became flesh. I like the way that the translation, the, the message translates John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, and God became human and moved into the neighborhood. I like that because that's what God did. When God became one of us, he moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us, with us. Imagine, has anybody got fish? Anybody got pet fish at home? Anybody got tropical fish? Okay. Now, Bob, if you wanted a relationship with your fish, if you leaned up close to the aquarium and say, Hey, fish, I love you. What would the fish do? They'd probably dart away. They'd probably hide. They'd hide if I did that to them, that's for sure. You can't really have a relationship with your tropical fish. You can care for them and look after them, make sure the temperatures are straight, and you give them the right food, and hopefully you clean their tank before it gets all green and you can't see them anymore. You take care of your fish, right? And you may love those fish, but... It's hard to know if those fish love you back. It's not much of a relationship. Let me suggest to you that the only way you could really, truly communicate with, with those fish was to become one of them. I don't want to become a, a guppy. Like, what, what are you saying? It, it, it's hard to find an exact equivalent, but, but think of that. Think of becoming a fish with a brain the size of a fish and everything else that a fish has in order to have a relationship with the fish in your fish tank. It gives you a little bit of the idea of how Jesus set aside all his rights and privileges as God and became... He didn't even start off as an adult male. That's what I would have done. I would have gone with the white horse. He didn't go with the white horse. He became... Uh, a human embryo, just a little seedling in his mother's womb. And they did the whole nine months, you know, pregnancy, the whole standard human thing. And birth, awkward, messy, in a kind of a smelly, unclean place, and became one of us. And he wasn't even born into a palace. I think, come on, what a... I'm sorry, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but it sounds like kind of a dumb plan to me. A little bit sketchy. But he started off in such humble circumstances to become one of us. You see the great love that God has for us. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, okay, next one please, Tamara. Now, we, we started at the beginning of the story in Genesis. And we reached kind of a crisis process. Uh, at the beginning of the story, God wants to dwell with his people. He created the world, and he created people to manage the world and take care of it. We haven't done a really good job with that. But God is coming back to redeem the mess that we've made of the planet. And then at the end of the story, in Revelation, it says this, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Next. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God, he himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, this is what it looks like. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Several of us have lost family members recently or people close to us. Listen, when God, at the end of time, when God comes to dwell with us, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's going to be gone. God wants to dwell with us. Let's think about that word dwell. It's not a word that we use very often. It's different than, you know, just live beside. I can coexist with my neighbors. Uh, sometimes my neighbors might be nice people. They might be not so nice people. They might just, I might just never even see them. But when you dwell with someone, it means you kind of move in and and, and kick back and relax. And, and if Jesus dwells in your heart, like it says in Ephesians chapter 3, if, if Christ dwells in your heart, it's like he moves in and makes himself at home. And you redecorate the place and reorder things to, to, to make space for him in your life. And it, and it changes everything. It's a total game changer. Because all of a sudden you're not striving to prove yourself. You're, you're, you're set free from guilt. You're set free from shame. You're set free from addictions. All kinds of things. God changes you from the inside out. When Christ dwells with you, it changes your life. And if Jesus dwells with his people, with a group of his people, like Elam Chapel, it can be a total game changer. What could Elam Chapel look like if God would dwell with us? I've been telling you a story, a true story, okay? In the beginning, God created us to dwell with him. The relationship was broken. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us to take us back to the Father, back to his relationship with him. And at the end of time, when Jesus comes the second time, God's going to set up an eternal kingdom and we will dwell with him then. We will dwell, all right? But in the meantime, we're kind of in the middle between the opening and final acts of the story. Just back one, please. What could Elam Chapel look like if God would dwell with us? Now, this is your part of the story. This is your part of the script. You get to help preach the sermon today. Just don't be too long, all right? But I want you to tell me what could Elam Chapel look like if God would dwell with us? It's one of the, some of the first things that come to mind. What could we look like if God would dwell with us? What would it look like? Unity. Okay. Love. Yeah. Peace. These are good. Do you want to expand? Let's, let's 
feeling comfortable with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not so comfortable that you fall asleep and you get complacent, but it just, it, but it feels like home, right? Yeah, okay. Feeling safe, yeah, sorry? Yeah, more people, people coming in. Yeah, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Deeper relationships. Do, do you want to just expand a little bit on that? Taking the time and energy to invest ourselves in other people. Yeah, deeper than the service. You know, I Sunday mornings are great, and it's good to be together, but it's hard to have a relationship with 150 or 200 people, right? That's one of the challenges that we face. And we all commute in, well, a lot of us do, come in from different directions to meet here on a Sunday. So one of the challenges we face is how do we just hang out together and build community? By the way, I've got the beginning of a solution to that. I told you that today we're having a three-hour church service, right? We're, but a break for lunch, so that's good. And lunch is free, and it's going to be good. And you're thinking, oh, man, I didn't bring anything for lunch. Brilliant. Just stay, okay? Stay. We're going to have a guilt-free lunch. Just stay for lunch. And we're going to talk about um, some plans for 2014, what we're looking forward to and anticipating. And we need your input on that. But the... The potential of Elam Chapel is immense because, because, you know why? Here's the secret word for today. This word here. What? What's that written down again? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ah, that's the secret word for today. That is the game changer. God with us. Imagine that. At the risk of sounding repetitive, imagine that. God with us. Not over us like a tyrant. Or not under us like some cosmic butler that we snap our fingers and he delivers what we want. And certainly not against us. And not going away from us, but God with us. Imagine if you could take God with you to your job on Monday. Now, he's already going to be there. Because He's what they call omnipresent. He can pull that off because He's God. He's already there. But imagine if you had a greater, a heightened sense of awareness of God going with you to work tomorrow. Or to school. Especially when the exam period coming up. That's when you really get religious, right? Oh Lord, help me. Um, or just at home, or whatever your part of your routine is tomorrow. God with us. What a total game changer. But specifically, I want us to be praying and thinking about what could Elam Chapel look like if God would dwell with us. Next slide, please, Tamara. Um, the picture didn't show up, but this... Uh, in September 2015, I don't know if you read it in the Metro or the, the paper this week, in two years' time, the University of Winnipeg is going to build um, a, another residence just behind the uh, Bueller Center in the, on the corner out here, but a block away. It's going to be 14 stories high. It's going to have 102 units. Um, anywhere from one to three bedrooms. So they're really trying to facilitate 
um, families and single parent families going to school. So I've been wondering, next slide, I've been wondering how will those new neighbors know that God dwells with Elam Chapel? We've got two years to get ready for these folks. Two years to get ready for the new neighbors moving in. Jesus apparently has already moved into the neighborhood. Apparently. That's what the Bible says. Jesus already lives in our hood. Isn't that great? What are these folks going to see? What are they going to taste? What are they going to experience? Feel, touch? What, what are they going to experience living that close to Elam Chapel? Just a block away. How will our new neighbors know that God dwells with us? It's kind of the challenge we face. And God is giving us this opportunity to stop and take stock and I think kind of refocus what we're here for. Saying, what's really important, God? How do we we listen to you and, and how do we focus and how do we move into the future? How do we experience life with you so that other people are attracted to you. Other people are drawn into your family. Because that's what we're here for, right? That's why we exist. We're here to worship God, to dwell with God. And when people dwell with God, it's just absolutely magnetic. People come and say, yeah, I want me some of that. I want to be in on that. And that's the invitation. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to understand the the marvelous truth of God living with us. Many of us feel disconnected from you and disconnected from each other. And I pray this Advent season will be a time for us to reconnect with who you really are and what you want to do in our lives. Looking ahead to 2014, we know you will be with us But we pray that you guide us and that we would hear only from you. In Jesus' name, amen.